This Winter Storm Toby edition of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash fool and using the promo code fool at checkout. It's Wednesday, March 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today. Investor at large, Tim Hansen. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. The office is technically closed. Yes. And by technically, I mean officially. Full Global <laughs> Headquarters is officially closed. But somehow, I was able to convince you to make the trek through the snow and uh, our man behind the glass, Taylor Harris, subbing in. Uh, helping out today. So, thanks for making the trip. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice to be on the show when um, you either can't get anybody else or I'm the only one who is close <laughs> enough to the office to get here. You're on more often than that. <laughs> Come on. Come on now. That's unfair. Even if it's. Everybody's on vacation this week. So, we got Tim Hansen, investor at large, and on, in the studio. We got a foot of snow on the ground outside. But Tim ran in because he only lives a mile from uh, here. Is that, is that how I make you no, feel? No, no, I no, apologize. No, no. That's terrible. That's terrible. It's always a pleasure. Um, well, if it makes you feel any better, I got some I got some stories today that are right up your alley that I know you have opinions on. And let's start with the ongoing saga that is Facebook. Yeah, wow. Which is up a little bit today, which means it's only down about ten percent this week. We were talking right before we came in the studio. The optics right now are, I think, as as bad as they have ever been for Facebook in terms of the questions that they are facing and the fact that pretty much everyone and I'm going to go ahead and include employees if you if we are to believe the reports mm-hmm. where employees off the record have saying we want to hear from leadership we want to hear from Mark Zuckerberg we want to hear from Sheryl Sandberg and they are nowhere to be found right now you know, it's interesting, reflecting on all this uh, volatility at Facebook, I, I went back and read um, The Accidental Billionaires, which is the book upon which the movie The Social Network was based. And I think one of the things that's striking about the, the um, controversy Facebook finds itself in right now is actually what a reputational repair job they'd done over the past like three or four years. Because you know, when they came public, the stock was down, and there were all sorts of questions about the you know the ethics of the founding of Facebook and so on and so forth, and you know, in some ways, which it, was right on the heels of the movie too. Exactly, exactly, and and I think people didn't think you know Mark Mark Zuckerberg was that good of a guy, and then you know you go back a year and there he is touring Iowa, seemingly getting ready to run for president or something like that, and now it seems like he might be back at square one with this revelation that they just played very fast and loose with um, data, and you know are handling this more like. Um, uh, damage control than like a, a, a serious problem that needs to be that needs to be solved, um, but yeah, I mean it, it, it's really it's really troubling um, what what they were allowing app developers to do. Um, it'd be interesting to find out uh, you know their motivation for allowing app developers to have access to that much data. Um, you know clearly there are profit motives there as as well. Um, but I, you know I think this is a serious problem, particularly as regulators around the world get involved. Um, you know, regulators, uh, the FTC, when they got involved in the Whole Foods Wild Oats merger, basically put three years of Whole Foods growth on hold while they tried to sort that out. I mean, they could, they could ostensibly um, do the same with regards to Facebook in terms of just having executive leadership to really take their eye off a of strategy and have to deal with lots of lots of legal things instead. When I think back to when Facebook went public, 
and let's just put aside the questions at the time, the business questions about mobile ad revenue, because that was one of the yep. reasons, I think, particularly the first six months that Facebook was a public company, the stock was down. There were legitimate questions about how are they going to monetize mobile, and they have answered that brilliantly. Yep. But there were also questions about Mark Zuckerberg, not just in terms of, like, is he a good guy or not, but also, given his relative youth, um, his casual appearance, there were people who were I think uh, you know, not with any malice, but rightfully asking, is this someone who can lead this company? And uh, as you indicated, he's <laughs> partly through reputational repair. Um, he's done a he's done a great job of that, and part of that is building a leadership team around him with with Sheryl Sandberg. But to go back to the data, I mean, that's one of the great ironies of what they're facing right now because. For the longest time, what we've all said and what advertisers have all said about Facebook is, Facebook knows everything about us. Mm -hmm. They've got all the data about us. And the irony of this situation is that Facebook may have all the data on us. They appear to have very little information on the developers that they let essentially run loose inside their platform. Yeah. I mean, it's almost very naive what they thought people would use their platform to do. Um, and that, that's you know, or either naive, or they or they didn't care. Um, you know, when you have developers on your platform, it, it behooves you. There's an incentive to allow them to make things that get people to engage, to get people angry, to get people doing, um, making more comments and things of that nature, because it leads to more more ad impressions. So you know, why didn't they crack down on? Um, you know, uh, misleading news stories or uh, fake users or you know advertising that was um, not up to a standard. You know, political advertising that would not have been up to the standard that sh- uh, would, it would have to be on TV or, or, or radio. Um, is it because they they were ignorant about it? I I find that probably the least likely scenario because you know, Mark Zuckerberg and his team may be a lot of things, but they're certainly not stupid. Um, so if, the, if if it's because they didn't know, or if it's not because they didn't know, um, then why? And and probably because um, if I had to make a guess, it was probably because it was helping their business perform really strongly. Who do you think we're likely to hear from first, Sheryl Sandberg or Mark Zuckerberg? Because one of those two people needs to come out. And I I've been trying to think about this from just from a communication standpoint uh, because I've talked before about. Stephen Ells at Chipotle and and how he mishandled their f- uh, food crisis mm. er- early in that process and then as it turns out repeatedly uh, botching it from a communication standpoint. So I've been I've been trying to think about Facebook in terms of well what what is the thing that would be the most effective? Would it be um, a sit down interview with um, you know with no conditions where where Someone from Bloomberg or CNBC or whoever can just grill Zuckerberg. Like I truly don't know what it is, but what I do know, I can only come back to things that he's done in the past that aren't going to cut it this time. You know, there have been times in the past when they've had privacy concerns raised, where Zuckerberg has done a straight-to-camera video for ten minutes and he's talked about how committed they are to fixing this. I don't think that's going to work this time. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, you know, I think they've had a bias in the past towards using their own platform to disseminate information about themselves. Um, you know, he posts often posts things on his own Facebook account and hopes people read them and so on and so forth. 
Um, you know, I'm not a crisis manager. I don't know what the right solution is here because, you know, I, 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 like I said earlier, I, th I think this is a revelation that um, obviously this is not the only developer who accessed this data and probably used it for, um, you know, maybe you could call it malicious purposes. I, I don't know the right, necessarily the right word to describe. Certainly not, um, not, not uh, everything wasn't on the up and up with regards to how they were intended to use this data or dis distribute this data to other people. Um, they're certainly not the only developer who, who did that. Um, so how many more cases like this are there out there? How many did Facebook know about? I think it's hard to respond to a problem until you reveal the full scope of it. So that would probably be the next step for the company if they really, you know, if they if they care about coming clean about it. But if it's for, if you know if they want to approach it with more of a damage control mentality, I, I suspect you'll see a different strategy. Yeah, the only advice I have, and I'm not the only one offering this advice, is uh, the communications people at Facebook who are getting hung up on the phrase data breach. And are yeah, coming clarifying, up and yeah. saying, it's "Well, not a breach. technically, it's not a <laughs> breach." It's like technically, you really need to let this go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you need to move on because if like that—that that is the verbal equivalent or the language equivalent of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah, I mean, I've I've never had a Facebook account, and I've often chided my wife for hers because I've never uh, it it never it never seemed like a, a company that. Respected its users or customers from its very origin, um, a company that respected its users or customers in, in, in a way that was sort of uh, you know mutual respect. Um, obviously, they'd done a fabulous job of creating shareholder value and um, changing that perception over the last couple of years. But you know, um, you know, is are the recent revelations the exception or are they the rule? I think that's the interesting um, story to come out, and and that will have huge implications for the company from here. They report earnings in early May, and in addition to whatever questions, that'll be a fun conference call. I was just going to say, in addition to whatever questions, or, or maybe not, because maybe they won't take any questions. Yeah. Whatever questions they get, if they decide to take them, uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see what the actual numbers are in terms of engagement. To you know, we see little anecdotal stuff here and there of people's you know. Well, yeah, it's March twenty first now, so probably won't see any effect on engagement in the quarter. But if they give guidance, they might show up there. Uh, let's move on to Tesla because Tesla's uh, shareholders are voting today on Elon Musk's uh, compensation arrangement, which uh, is not based on how many vehicles they're going to deliver. It's based entirely on a rise in Tesla's market value over the next decade. Oh, because he's. Well, I won't say it. Sorry, continue. No. <laughs> I was going to say something mean. If you're a shareholder, how are you voting on this? Oh, I think it's I think it's a terrible pay package because um, you know even if it, it doesn't um, take into account shareholder return, it rather just the complete expansion of the value of Tesla the corporation. But um, as you know, as, as everybody knows, you know, Tesla is probably going to need to raise money, and whether they succeed at fixing their production issues or not, they, the company does need more capital. Um, one way they can get that is through debt. Um, one way they've also done it historically is through convertible debt, which is debt that then converts into equity or more shares. Or they could do um, additional offerings of shares, which would inflate the share count. Um, I think those last two things are both very likely, which means that the value of Tesla could increase market cap, while shareholders reap little to no per share return, and yet Musk will still do quite well in that regard. So it's, I think it's a poorly designed package. Um, you know, and the and the the sarcastic point I was going to make earlier is that you know he's been better at saying things that inflate the price of the stock than at doing things that increase the number of cars that they produce. Um, so in some ways, the 
pay package lines up with his skill set. <laughs> so he probably likes it that way. The and the package is not dependent on him remaining CEO of Tesla. It's dependent on him remaining an officer of the company. Mm-hmm. So when this first got floated, I remember looking at this and thinking, "Oh, okay, so the the possibility of him stepping away from the day-to-day responsibilities of the company and well, just, you know is probably increased ever so slightly with yeah, this Yeah, I mean in, in in his defense and because I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not only antagonistic towards Elon Musk. He's obviously done many very fascinating and, and interesting things. Um I think he said in the past in interviews that when he works with and he obviously works with SpaceX in addition to Tesla and he's also got his boring boring company. Um I think when he talks about Tesla he says that um, were he to step down as chief executive officer, he would main chief engineer, chief designer, something of that of that nature. And I think that's probably where his skill set is best utilized. You know, I mean, apart from the job of CEO of you know inflating the stock price by talking to the market, he's clearly good at that as well. But um, I think it's possible that he could you know not step down from the day to day responsibilities of the CEO, but still remain very influential at the company in terms of how it creates its products and and, and markets them to uh, cu- uh, customers. Before we go on, I want to say thanks again to Casper. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce, and they make buying a mattress easy. Because buying a mattress is a pretty terrible experience. I don't, I don't know the last time you bought one, but I'm guessing it involved you going to a showroom and just lying there. Are there non-human mattress designers? Look, this is 2018. <laughs> Look, these mattresses are designed by humans for humans, not okay. by robots for humans, or for that matter, by humans for pets. Fair. There you go. I can't argue with the fact. <laughs> with Casper, you order online, it's delivered right to your door in a compact box. Free shipping and free returns in the U.S. and Canada, and it comes with a risk-free 100-day trial, uh, considering that we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress uh, unless you're a few of our colleagues here at the office who have very young children, they're not they're not getting a third. They'll make up for it. They'll make up for it in the long run, but they're not they're not getting <laughs> eight hours of sleep a night. But for the rest of us, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing, and that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. What uh, do they do if they get get it back on like night 98? Do they resell it, or is that a? I don't know. I so don't know. many questions. But like, what do you care? Like, like that's the. Well, great I don't thing. want to buy a mattress that somebody else slept on for ninety eight days. I don't think this is not like a pre owned mattress thing. All right, that they're all right. Doing. I'm just asking. I'm no, just asking. I don't know what they do with them, but I mean, that's again, it's the great experience because when you, right now you just go to some. No, it's a good guarantee. It's a, I'm, it, I'm just curious what happens to the inventory, or maybe they're so confident that no mattresses ever come back. I've, you know what? We might need to talk to them. <laughs> we might need to like get an interview with someone from Casper. Um, get fifty dollars towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com/fool and use the promo code fool at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, fifty dollars towards select mattresses. Go to casper.com/fool and use the promo code fool at checkout. Maybe there's information on the site. Probably the terms and conditions. Yeah, there you go. There might be in there, but nobody uh, ever reads those. As Facebook knows. That's <laughs> Uh, for anyone who has ever used iTunes, yeah, just, like, just click the <laughs> just, box. Just, just scroll to the bottom and click the box. Just want to hear my song. Uh, Take my data. Uh, the saga of uh, Facebook continues. The, the the saga of Nordstrom trying to go private. Uh, it, I don't know if it's ended, but it's uh, one chapter has certainly ended because Nordstrom has ended discussions um, with the 
founding family members about taking the company private. Uh, the two sides could not come to an agreement on price. I'm a little surprised by this, just because when the Nordstrom family made the opening bid, it was truly laughable because the stock was trading at $52 a share. The family said, OK, we'll buy it out at 50 a share. The board smartly said, "No, that's less." So yeah, we're we're good with the basic math. We're going to pass well, on this one. Well, you don't you can't judge that until maybe a couple years go by, right? 50, 50 could look pretty good in hindsight. Well, and that's the thing where I thought I thought, okay, they're just they're just making their opening bid. Of course, they'll come back with another bid, and apparently, I think the fam- It's if I'm reading the tea leaves correctly, the family is sort of digging in their heels and saying, "Look, the only reason the stock is as high as it is is because we came out late last year and said we were interested in doing this." So that's really in- that's really interesting because there have actually been a couple of merger and arbitrate um, uh, merger and acquisition cases that have gone to Delaware court recently on, on around this topic, and it's fascinating um, because usually um, you know a, a deal will take place, somebody will. Acquired at a price a little bit higher, probably than the share price that it was trading at, and then oftentimes some shareholders will sue for a higher price, thinking they're not getting fairly compensated. And usually, the people suing the plaintiffs generally did pretty well; either they'd settle or the, the the court would rule in their favor. There was a recent case where um, they sued and they ended up getting less than the takeout price because the court came back and said, "Oh no, the fair value was whatever it was trading of at the day before the murder because the market's sufficient." <laughs> and it's hard to argue with that in some ways, right? Because to the point of the Nordstrom family, if the stock is elevated because people think they're going to buy it, um, why should the value they're going to create as the owners all go to the shareholders who, who, who can't create it? In some ways, they're right to potentially offer um, a, a price that is more than what the company might be worth run by present management, but less than what it would be worth in their assessment, if they were running it in a better way, it's an interesting, a very interesting and emerging um, um, section of shareholder law. You think they sit back and just wait for this thing to drop a little bit and just say, "How's that fifty dollars a share looking now?" I mean, it's not a crazy strategy. Um, you certainly, I think, for a for a, um, a physical retailer, you certainly don't want to overpay these days. So, um, yeah, if, if they know what they think their company's worth. And they're confident in that. I don't, there's no reason to overpay. I don't think it, I don't, nobody's going to swoop in on top of them. I don't think. Tim Hansen, investor at large. Thanks for breaking the snow. My pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Taylor Harris. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.